0: I'd love to get into the Word today, but before we do that, uh, just an announcement. We have some interesting uh, activities happening next week, something very, very different, and I feel like a guest preacher this morning because I, I don't think I've preached here in a month. And uh, this, this afternoon, <laughs> <laughs> something, something comes before a fall. I forgot what it was. <laughs> but we have, uh, we have, I haven't preached here in a while, but it is really good to see everyone. But the last time I was here, we spoke about staying here for the, for the foreseeable future up until December. And then I left town, um, and, which was we had a great vacation. And um, with that, with re-upping with Evergreen Church, there was one date that was in confliction because they didn't know we were going to stay. And, they, and then once they would figured out we were going to stay, we just kind of compared our calendars recently and realized that they had a wedding. Next week, they have a wedding here that was already on the calendar that they could not cancel. So, we were left with the decision when we got back, what are we going to do about September 16th, which is next week? And um, knowing that we, don't, we, we can either meet you very late at night, but we didn't really want to change the time. So, we discussed it as a leadership and we thought it would be an, absolutely, it'd be an opportunity to push people back into the homes and I'm going to be preaching on that today. So next week, and I'll explain it all today, we're not actually going to meet here. We're going to meet in various homes around the city. Now, I've always wanted to cancel a service and actually push people back into the homes because of of a value that I have for home in the church, a church in the home. I really have a major value for that. And now we have to. I wish we didn't have to. I wish I'd done it before we have to. But for me it was an opportunity. And maybe that's not just my um, I've always seen things with a glass half full all my life. My sister used to say when we used to play a lot of cards growing up, we would play poker with my dad. He taught us how to play poker as a pastor. But he did, and he would always win. But he taught us how to play poker, and I would get a, hand, a pair of twos, and I would believe with all my heart. I was like, I'm going to get another two twos. I'm going to win. Every hand I got, I thought, I'm going to win. So when I saw this, I really, really thought, what an opportunity what an opportunity for us to go back into the homes. So, what we're going to do is we're going to use this next week to launch life groups. Many of the life groups canceled and closed down for the summer to give people a break, but we have we have the ones that were running starting up and then we have some more. And so we've got these little cards at the back which we're going to sh- they'll they'll all be at the back which we'll explain in a moment. But because we're not gonna meet here, we wanted to make it very clear who's leading a life group, where they're leading, how to get hold of them. Often we've done this in the past, we've had all the life group leaders come up front, but we haven't given you something to take home, and so they try to remember, and then the website wasn't working at that time, and it just doesn't correlate very well. So everything will now correlate well, everything is communicating well with each other. And so I wonder if all those life group leaders could come. Some of them I know are not here, but for those who are here, if you guys could come up real fast, that'd be great. So I'm going to ask them to take just a minute, if they can, a minute or so, and they get a minute to really plug their group. So remember, it's not a competition. We're all in the same kingdom, and they always talk about who's going to feed you the most because they figure that's what brings people. Um, so I'm going to, where's the mic? I'm going to give the mic, and I'll start, I'll start with you, Kevin, seeing as you've already been here. And uh, what I'm going to ask them to do, just before they speak, we, um, I really am excited about this, And there's a biblical value to having church in the home, and as I say, I'm going to preach about that today, but it it really is an important value, and I've asked each one of them to just give a very brief description, and if they don't have a description, just to talk a little bit about who they are, where they live, just give the area, please. Uh, Reston, Leesburg, Percival, America is very helpful. And then, then Kevin, why don't you start, and then we'll get back to something after. Hello.
1: I'm colorblind, so I don't know if it's blue or green or red, but I think it works, so that's good. Um, Katie and I will be having a group in our house. We're in Leesburg, uh, southern Leesburg, I should say, Um, and we're going to meet every other week. First and third Wednesdays will likely be the day, but it'll it'll be a Wednesday. could be a second, you know. Um, And the focus of our group is really uh, if you're in business, if you're a businessman, businesswoman, and your families, we would love to do that kind of group. And we'll eat, and we'll talk, and kids, and there'll be noise, and there'll be chaos, but there'll also be good times, and connecting, and it'll be, it'll be fun, so. Uh, no, I think you covered it, but yeah. We'll have more details later. Dwayne and Marie Kobayashi, we live in Reston. Wednesdays, seven o'clock. We generally meet every Wednesday other than the monthly prayer meeting. We do stuff, we talk, and we eat a little bit, but mostly we talk. So if you are keen to do that, come. Hi, I'm Andrew, this is my wife, Michelle. Uh, We're gonna be meeting on a Wednesday night, um, also in Leesburg, Um, what's the area? North, I don't know, north. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Central. Central. So um, when I was thinking about about life groups or home groups, um, I was thinking back. For me, um, a life group is where I learned to do things like pray out loud. I learned to minister in a group to people. Um, I learned to speak in tongues. So that, for me, is what a life group is all about. It's about a community of people standing together, fighting together, um, where we can all learn how to do all these things, how to minister to, to people. Um, it's an opportunity where, and I know it sounds weird, but where we can practice the skills that God has given us. Um, it's, it's a safe environment, um, and that's for us what Home Group is all about, and that's what we're going to be doing in, in Home Group. Hey, I'm Tommy. This is my wife Carly. This is Jackson. We have two uh, less young ones back there. This is Glenn. His wife Tally is not here at the moment. Um, We meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 at our house in Southern Ashburn, Brambleton area. Uh, We love to hang out. We love to eat. um, We love to learn about living life in the spirit with each other. We're going to be going through the book, When Heaven Invades Earth, this fall. And so come. It's great. Oh, kid-friendly, of course. Hello, I'm Guy DeBlanc. This is my wife, Tracy. We co-lead with... Richard and Carol. Um, we actually bounce back and forth between our house and their house. Currently, we're mostly at their house, but this coming weekend, not to confuse anyone, we'll be meeting at our house. Um, I'm gonna let Trace talk in a second about the study we're doing at the moment, but I just wanna say that next Saturday, since no one else mentioned it, we are gonna have a barbecue. We're gonna have a fire pit. It's gonna be awesome. Come on over. Uh, 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 anyway. Normally, <laughs> we- Norm- normally, we meet on Tuesday nights at 7.30, at, like you said, at Richard and Carol's house. We're studying the brain. Um, Beth and Tally are leading a study called Who Switched Off My Brain, and it's fantastic. You guys are welcome to join us. Okay. Hamilton Percival. Hamilton Percival for now. Hi, I'm Christiane Deneen, and uh, many of you may know my mom, Bev. She couldn't be here tonight, but... We are going to be hosting um, a life group on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at our house in Leesburg, Southwest Leesburg, um, and looking forward to anyone coming out on Saturday this weekend. We are going to have a potluck, so if anyone wants to come, please bring something to share, and we're looking forward to getting to know more people. Oh, and we want to concentrate on worship and fellowship on Wednesday night. So, Mr.
0: thanks. Wonderful. Thanks, thanks. Wonderful people. You can all take a seat. That's awesome. We also have um, we also have Mark and Marsha. Who knows Mark and Marsha Malloy? They're out of town right now, but they are also they recently had a, a group that have they've already met at Jodie and Cindy's house, but they're gonna also have a group. They didn't give me anything to read, but I know with Mark and Marsha they love to meet with married couples. They love um, they 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 just always have an amazing ability to host and so they're also in Leesburg. I'm not as apparently not as clever as everybody else here. I don't know if it's Southwest, Northwest, South, it's in the city limits. That's all I know. They live in Leesburg. And then Roger and Kerry Cressy, Roger and Kerry Cressy are not going to lead a life group per se, but a life group is so much more, we have to break out of the box of we go to a home, we do a little thing, we do a little teaching, and then it's not a mini service. It's living life together in a community. And so I've said to the people, you can do whatever you want. Please understand, we're not dictating what they do, what they don't do. We have no control of how they're gonna do that. We're saying, be free, we trust them. We wouldn't, in a sense, let just anybody come and lead a life group without (laughs) speaking to them. So we trust them, you can trust them. And so Roger and Kerry don't necessarily lead a life group they're not going to, uh, but they do live life. I mean, Kerry deals very closely with a large team uh, with the Children's Church, and obviously Roger with Jen and Devin on the worship. And so they've, they've, I've asked them to just, just to increase the possibility for next week, because we cannot meet here. Roger and Kerry's home is also going to be open next week. So even though you have all of these people starting life groups, we're launching them next week, well those that I have, haven't met yet, we're launching them next week Saturday, because we cannot meet here. So we're canceling the service, which is going to feel weird for many of us, it's gonna feel very weird for me to be very, very honest, especially as I'm not hosting one myself. I know I'm gonna wake up and be like, I feel like I should be there, but we don't have an option with this facility, so we're gonna cancel, we're gonna push it back into the homes, which is a very biblical thing which we'll see now, and um, it's Roger and Kerry is gonna be included in, in that group. So at the back, you will see these cards. There's many other ones, there's these. They have the name, the area, and the address, and an email. Now, I know whenever we ask for RSVP, it's never reliable. And uh, not because you are all such wonderful people, but um, just emails must get lost, I don't know. But um, please do let them know if you can come. Uh, Because um, I think many of them are going to do a potluck next week. I think many people have chosen to do a meal, they might not have said it. But if they haven't, you will know if you email them. Um, because you might arrive with a big meal and they're not eating, and that would be awkward. So please, uh, please let them know if you're going to come. That would be very, very helpful. And uh, again, we're not going to be here next week. We will put it on the website. We're going to push it back into the home. I'm asking you, as your pastor, to please go. Please don't just see it as a week as a break. I'm asking you, for some people, it's, it's not easy to walk into someone else's home that you don't know. But last year when we launched life groups in a much more focused, intentional way I took notes and I noticed that there was a life group that met last year, I think they had two couples. But I noticed that those two couples grew in leaps and bounds when they went to that life group. They just grew and it's not so much because of the people that hosted it. Often they just sat around, had meals and talked. But in this area, Northern Virginia, there's something in this area where there's such a lack of fellowship. It's one of the greatest requests that people come to me and they say, I'm joining because I'm looking for fellowship or I'm leaving because I never found fellowship. And we see that if you do any research on the pretty much in a large part of the northeastern coast of America, people struggle because there's just no fellowship. People are so busy, they commute to work, they get up early, they get home late, they have got to take care of their house and so forth and so on. And so for me, it's such a value to be able to do this. If it's uncomfortable for you, I'm asking you to give it a chance. Go to someone's home. Have a meal with someone. Amen? All right, so we're going to do that next week. All right. I wonder if we could pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. That will be awesome. Father, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for the life that you've put inside of us. I thank you for your great salvation, Lord. Lord, I pray your presence upon this place, this building, this meeting. Thank you for your word that it just has such authority. And I pray, Lord, that today is not about what I say, but what you have said and what you are saying. And I truly thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these groups, Lord. I thank you that they will be just such life and fun together in Jesus' name. Amen. I want if you could go to Acts chapter 2. Today I want to speak to you about a loving community. And um, I had to paste this part of my Bible back in this morning because it fell out. But I finally sort of stick it back with uh, little sticky notes, which is wonderful. But when you get saved, friends, when you get saved, you get placed into a, into a covenant community. Into a, the gospel places you into a covenant community. Many people, unfortunately, uh, can I say without any uh, disparagement, in the first world setting you see a whole different emphasis on family and community than you see in a third world setting. Who knows that to be true? It's just a fact. And so what happens is sometimes we have to be intentional. There are certain scriptures in the Bible that we read them and we're like, oh, that would be wonderful, and we all long after that. But we don't understand. Some of the stuff that happened in the Bible happened because it was already cultural. It didn't just begin out of nowhere. It was already cultural for them. They lived life together. They fought together. They died together. They did a lot of stuff that in First World, especially in Northern Virginia, we just don't do. We're very isolated. We spend so much time alone. We spend so much time at work. We spend so much time in our car. And biblically speaking, I believe this with all my heart, the level and the depth of relationship between a believer and a believer is far deeper than any relationship you can have with an unbeliever. Please hear me. I'm not saying that we should not be friends with with people in the world. Absolutely. Be friends, befriend them for the purpose of salvation. Absolutely. But there is a covenant, there is a blood covenant between believers that does not exist elsewhere. Amen? It's true. There's four types of relationships you have. Relationship with God. Relationship with your family including your spouse being the, obviously the closest, relationship with believers, and a relationship with those in the world. Every single one of those are very, are very different. Very different. The first three, with God, with, with your family, and with believers, are run by love. I'm going to speak about love today. It's love flows between. The last one, love is owed. You owe it. The Bible says in Romans 13, you owe no man anything but to love. And we cannot love a person who does not love back or reacts back or, well, you blank this and bleep that and how dare you speak to me about Jesus and you can love regardless of what they come to you. You owe no man except to love. And so we're going to look at what does it mean biblically to be a loving community. I know normally I love to read lots of scripture and teach. I mean, I have to give you a very fast foundation. I've taught on this before. And so some of you might remember it was a few years ago. But when it comes to a covenant community, let's go to actually Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All right, this is a very well, let's go to verse 40. It's a very well known passage of Scripture, very, very well known, well worn, but we can read it again. Acts 2, verse 40 says, And with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The Bible says fellowship. There it should say the fellowship. It was when they came together. The fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. The f- then fear came upon every soul, and that word fear is, is awe. Now, this is not in my notes, but I've, we had a season of the churches that were part of NCMI back in South Africa, uh, the, uh, the people that we used to partner with a number of years ago. Um, that passage of Scripture was so well-worn, and so we preached on it, I mean, it was just constant. Who's heard messages on that? Everyone's heard messages. And what I saw come out of that was different groups of people I found some of what came out of that was an unrealistic expectation of like, almost like a cult-level type community. And I don't mean that in a mean way, and I'm not trying to preach against what I'm just about to preach. But Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who knows Diedrich Bonhoeffer? He was a German gentleman uh, in uh, World War II, and, um, and he was longing for fellowship with other believers, obviously in a concentration camp. And unfortunately, he penned many things, but he died three weeks before it was over. And he said this, very interesting. I think I put it right at the bottom. I hope I did. He said, Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the actual Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial, those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law, and judge others in God accordingly. Very interesting, because what I've seen is many people come with such a desire for fellowship, because there's such a void in this area, but they have what that looks like, and they read that text, and they're like, I just want to share everything, and live life, and see people every day, but there's Some non-reality to that and we have to understand that this was before the gentiles were in a sense injected in acts chapter 10 and they were like how are we going to do that all over the world but you see it still carried on in acts 20 verse 20 it's in paul speaking to the ephesian elders he exhorted them he says how i exhorted you both publicly and from house to house and so some people would also say there's a lot of things that come out of this little passage that say real church like this isn't biblical we should just meet in homes friends don't listen to that it's not the truth not the truth thanks dad he's agreeing with me it's not the truth friends there is they met corporately together and they met house to house and in some cultures meeting house to house is so easy and so celebrated you don't even have to bring it up they don't even have to have life groups they just do it anyway but they never they struggle with with the corporate sense And in some cultures the corporate sense has been so well magnified and exalted and the churches are perfect and the communication is perfect and the programs are perfect and the pastors are perfect and the hair is perfect and everything is like a little business but don't ever come into my home yeah we've all experienced that it's very interesting to me the bible says that jesus had no place to lay his head they all wanted to go out to Christ to get the miracle, but don't bring Jesus into the home because then I've got to change. And then he sees, you know, and so he had to go and sleep on the Mount of Olives. It's a fact. So, just with some understanding that this was the beginning baby church, there were a few number of people, but they lived out of a culture of something. I want to give us a little bit, if I can, briefly, of an historical setting of why that just happened so naturally, both biblically and historically. Can we do that? Amen. Jim says, I shouldn't ask a question. He says, one day I'm going to say no. There was your chance, Jim. So, we know that we are called the family of God. We know that. We know we are called the household of God. Ephesians 1 says we're a household. This is a family. There is something of a blood covenant between people that many people don't fully understand. There's a blood covenant between us. It's not been, who knows everyone says, oh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not because we're from Noah. Understand, because then they would include unbelievers. In Christ, we're brothers and sisters because of a covenant of blood. And it's not pretty to talk about, but there's no covenant in the Bible that doesn't include blood. I preached on the blood of Christ last year. But because we are blood covenanted to one another, we are family. We will be with each other forever. So we better learn to get along we're gonna be around each other for a long 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 time yeah and you will find most problems in the church come from christian to christian not christian to unbeliever why because i've always said any relationship where there's a covenant the possibility of intimacy and relationship is so much deeper but the possibility of pain is so much higher because when there's a separation and a split of those things it rips you into your very spirit it rips you into your core into your soul and any covenant whether it's a marriage whether it's believer to believer, whether it's corporate, sometimes when you leave a church. I believe that when a person leaves a church, it should be done well. I don't know where this is, it's not on my notes, but it should be done well, because you covenant with those people. I understand when you go to a new area and looking and seeing, and, but it shouldn't just be church to the church. There's a covenant. Do you have a covenant with those people? Because you cannot have a covenant with live life, true life, with every believer in the world that's impossible. It's expressed through local churches, and you have covenant and family with those people. Amen? All right, so I wrote this. Christians often believe that if they fellowship somewhere, praise the Lord together, sing to Him together, pay their money, that they are living a Christian life. But the age of modern Christianity has long forgotten the depth of relationship believers are to have with each other through covenant. So historically, we're going to look at very briefly, how did this work historically? In people groups historically, can you throw up that first slide? Uh, she, that'll be great. You should have slides. Do we have slides? I think we have slides. Wonderful. The way it was generally practiced, when you get the term blood covenant, uh, there would be a discussions with friends and a priest. Where a priest, any spiritual figure, whether it was a shaman, a priest, a whatever which doctor they would bring these people together there would be discussion of the terms of the covenant the conditions of that covenant would be agreed upon this is mostly between goes way back to two tribes you know that the earliest historical setting in all writings of of covenants are blood covenants between it's the earliest that they can find is people making covenant with blood how did they get that idea the lord established it where did they think well blood you know let's use blood the condition of the covenant it was agreed upon. There was consequences if it we were broken. Most blood covenants were actually broken if there were consequences with death. They would then cut themselves. Okay, we all know I've preached on this before. They would rub their wounds together and they term blood brothers. That's where it comes from. Then they would put ash, mostly ash. You know that this was this practice was actually still happening up until Civil War. They were doing this in the Civil War some camps and they were putting gunpowder in there. And that would leave a thick black mark, either was on their thumb or their wrist or somewhere else, but mostly thumb in the thumb so it could be seen when you greet it or the wrist of the arm. And would leave a thick black scar, and they became known as the covenant men, covenant people. And it signified that if I touch this person, something else that I'm not aware of will touch me back. If I touch him, I'm going to get into trouble over here. I've been into Africa and northern parts of Africa, Sudan and various places where we saw, you've seen the movies, where you see them with the little beads and the marks and the cuts. And it's a terrifying thing. You saw them grab the child and they start cutting a face. And as a Westerner, I was like, "Whoa, what are you doing? Not understanding that to that child, when he grows up in their setting, that's a gift. Because he can be alone somewhere and they'll leave him alone because he's marked as a covenant person. And they know if I touch him, that tribe's going to come after me. So they were known as covenant men covenant men, and it signified, then they would exchange gifts, mostly clothes, or weapon, clothes and weapons, signifying what? Mutual provision and mutual protection. Then it would be sealed, and was the most important part, by a covenant meal. Now, when it was sealed by a covenant meal, if it, it was very serious, it wouldn't be sealed unless it wouldn't be final, unless it was sealed by a meal. Once it was sealed, if it was broken, most of the time, the wife or the family of the guy who broke it would run after him and kill him. Because they know if we don't punish him, that tribe's going to take us out. It was a very, very serious thing to be a covenant person. Biblically, we see this. Obviously, biblically, it came first. But we see this biblically, and I don't, as you know, there's the biblical practice. That's just a few examples. I could give you a whole long list. I don't, just don't have the time to go over it. You know, I've preached on some of this before. But Abraham, I mean, it was pretty gruesome. He cut animals in half. Sorry, Mom. My mother loves animals. But he cut animals in half and had a torch and stuff and passed between them and God passed between them and there was blood and blood over here and blood over there. It was making a blood covenant. Now, there was something called a covenant meal that happened in Exodus 24 and a lot of people miss this. I don't know if you can quickly go. We'll quickly read it. I'm still just trying to lay a foundation so we can get somewhere. and I hope you're tracking with me. All right. Exodus 24. God makes a covenant with Israel he affirms the covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. He actually says, I'll read it to you. He says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the, come up to the Lord, you Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. And so Moses goes up the mountain, and uh, it says "Yeah, Moses came and told all the people, verse 3, all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and so forth and so on. Then he sent the men, uh, verse five, he sent the young men of the children of Israel with burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. I'm just skipping through this. Verse seven, he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And then verse eight, Moses took blood and sprinkled it on all the people and so forth. Many of us have read that there was a covenant that was made. Then there was a covenant meal. Because it had to be sealed with a meal. The covenant meal was God invited them up the mountain. And the, think about this, and I, again, don't have time to get into this. Seventy people got to go and eat and drink with God. Some of you looking at me like it didn't happen. Verse 24, verse 9. Chapter 24, verse 9. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. It's an amazing verse. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was the very heavens, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. In other words, he laid it on Moses and not them, because there was a special spirit on Moses, the Bible says. And so they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. They had a covenant meal with God to establish the covenant that he had just made with them. That was known as a covenant meal you with me? I wrote you, I think I put it on the slide, yeah. The festive covenant meal likely included meat, because remember they had offerings, as well as bread and wine. It was a grand celebration of the presence of the living God. It was also a prophetic glimpse of the supper of the Lord Jesus and his disciples, in which he transformed the ancient symbols of deliverance from Egypt. What was that called? The Passover, right? And I'm giving us a little theological lesson very fast. The Passover, what were they instructed to eat at the Passover? Unleavened bread. They had four cups of wine, and we could go into it. We don't need to, but they, there was bread and wine present at the Passover and a spotless lamb. We know that with bitter herbs and so forth. So they took these symbols, bread and wine, into the new symbols of his impending death and resurrection. Let's fast forward. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. You know why I'm doing this? I'm doing all of this just to try to give you a biblical context of why what happened in the book of Acts and what does it mean for us. Let's go to verse uh, verse 17. It says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus Jesus saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Why is that important verse? They're about to eat a Passover meal. Okay? Okay. So we all know the, Lord's, the the last supper, we all know the text, and we'll read it in a moment, where Jesus institutes the last supper. But that started with the Passover meal. And I w- again, I, know I keep saying this, I would love to explain how amazing it is if you look at the Jewish feasts, all the different Jewish feasts that were happening that they were accustomed to. Jesus had the Passover meal. On the day of Passover, there was a Jewish feast when he died. When they were killing Christ... In Jewish homes they were killing lambs. The Lamb of God that was slain, they were being done at the same time and all the people missed it, missed the significance. And then on the next day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus was in the grave for a feast, Jesus rose from the dead on a feast, Jesus came back on a feast, Jesus ascended on a feast. Every single action of Christ from the time he died to the time he left was on a day of a Jewish feast. It's, It's an amazing study for those of you who want to go do it. There was no mistake Just let me say, no mistake. So they were preparing for a Passover meal, which was not a covenant meal. It was a meal remembering the picture of salvation, looking towards what? Looking towards the Messiah. Now, every single covenant in the Bible has a seal, has a mark. A seal is not Ziploc. You understand? It's not, I take a Ziploc and I've sealed my food and it's fresh. Not that. It's a seal of a king's signet ring, which you seal and put into, you've sealed something, it's showing ownership, it's showing authority. It's a seal. Okay? Every single covenant in the Bible has a seal. The seal that God put on Abraham was, with Abraham and mostly through the Old Testament, was circumcision. What was the seal of the covenant with Noah? The rainbow. There was a sign or a seal that has been a covenant that's been established. All right, so... Then, let's go to verse 26, just to save time. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. What is he doing here? He's taking what was an Old Testament Passover meal, and he's transforming it in front of their eyes to a covenant meal. He's telling them, and they would have understood this as Jewish people, Whoa! Well, hold on a second this is a covenant meal we're having why in the covenant in the Passover meal it's fascinating I wish I had time to get into it they had a little pouch with three pieces of bread they would take out the middle one signifying the coming Messiah they would break it and eat it that bread for seven days in a Jewish house there was allowed no leaven what does leaven stand for in the old testament sin no leaven allowed in the house they had to make their bread with, with no leaven, and then they would eat unleavened bread. They would eat sinless bread. The sinless bread of heaven was sitting with them. Jesus said, I'm the bread of heaven. The very bread that they are signifying, he's sitting right there. They would cut, they would kill the lamb who was spotless. Absolutely had to be a spotless lamb. The spotless lamb is sitting with them. They're eating lamb, the lamb's there. They're eating bread, the bread's there. They're drinking wine, the blood is in Christ. It's happening all together. So Jesus takes the blood, Jesus takes the wine, and he takes the bread. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Why don't you throw up the next slide? I think I wrote it out. This is from a commentary. I think it's there. Uh, Let me see if I can find it here. It was a covenant meal that the Lord and his disciples ate together in the upper room. It started as an Old Testament Passover meal, and it was changed by the Lord into a New Testament covenant meal. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them and said... This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way. So we do it. So just like they would do something remembering the Passover, they would remember salvation. Hello? By doing a Passover meal. So they would look back to that salvation and say, this is how God saved us. This is how God made us a nation. This is how God made us a people. This is how he got us out of Egypt. What does Egypt represent? Well, the world, right? Yes? Hello? So they would do a Passover meal to look back and remember. Jesus is saying, from now on, if you're Jewish, you can still do that. But he's saying, because he knows it's going to go to all the world. Why would a Greek person, Jews versus Greeks, why would a Gentile person do this meal? He knew they wouldn't do a Passover meal. Some people do out of honor and tradition, and that's fine. But he knew they're not going to do it. So he said, from now on, you look back. Just as they look back to the Passover, you're going to look back in celebration at this day and remember the day of your salvation, which is when my body was broken, even my blood was shed for your sins and for your healing, and it became a covenant meal. Are you with me? Wonderful. So, I believe this is the reason they understood some of this, and I know I went through that very fast. There's a lot in there that we can get into, Jewish feasts and what it meant, but as a community, friends, They understood what it meant to be a biblical community that comes together. They understood we are covenanted to one one another. When Jesus did that, he was saying to them, from today you are covenant men according to a new covenant. You have a blood covenant that cannot separate you. You have been made one. You know that old song? And they'll know we are Christians by our love. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. See, I sing even better than my wife. No, that's definitely... <laughs> that, was, that was obviously a joke, uh, apparently, by the response. Friends, it's very important for us to stand, for us to understand, because we see they understood as Jewish people what this meant. So the instant reaction was, oh, mutual protection. Mutual provision. The Lord became their protector in the the desert when they were made one through the cloud and the fire. The Lord became their mutual provider, the quail from heaven, the manna from heaven, the water from the rock. The the Lord became their mutual, the guy who fixed them. I'm the Lord that healeth thee. They had nowhere else to go. Jesus is saying this is a new covenant. They say, oh, we've come together. Mutual provision. What I have is yours. Oh, that's challenging to us Westerners, mutual provision, mutual protection, one God, one Spirit, one family. Hello. Covenant. We have a covenant, and we spend so much time missing that one fact that so we have. The church spent so much time dealing with their stuff, and the Great Commission doesn't take place because we've missed this one thing: we're a family, and we say quick, "Well, we're a family." But do we understand the depth? Why they could react like that in the Book of Acts? Because to them, it was obvious, it was a no-brainer. They came together. Very, very important. Now, we spoke about a mark, and we spoke about a seal. Every covenant has a seal. Every covenant has a mark. What was the seal? What was the mark? It's not a seal ziplock, like I said. What is the seal of the new covenant? The Holy Spirit. You know what's interesting to me? There's actually two, and I'll read you the second one in a moment. What's interesting to me, the first thing that happened after that made covenant in the Old Testament, then God the Father would say, well, you have to do the circumcision thing. Or no, this covenant meal explanation of the seal. The same thing happened here. Jesus in John chapter 13, he stood up, he broke bread, he got down, he washed their feet. Then Jesus gives the best teaching of the Holy Spirit for four chapters. The best teaching on the Holy Spirit for four, the best one ever. Why? Because it's the seal. He stands up, he makes a covenant, he makes it a covenant meal. They understand. We're in our family. We're blood. We're tied together. Friends, that's why the New Testament starts with the lineage, the son of so-and-so, because when you get born again, you take on that lineage. That's why the book of Matthew starts like that. And so they understood. So what does he do? He introduces them to the seal. I have to go. Don't be sad at me saying I have to go. I'm sending you another, the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, can you throw up Ephesians one thirteen? Ephesians one thirteen says the Holy Spirit is a seal, a guarantee of of what's to come. He's our seal, he's our mark. There's actually another, there's actually three, but the one is not for everyone, and I don't want to confuse you. There's so many people getting offended at God today, because he didn't bless, he didn't do this, I prayed, they didn't get healed, and I'm offended. Friends, it's a misunderstanding of the gospel. Paul got whipped 195 times. You know what he said? He said, I'm branded. How would we react if we got treated like that for the Lord? We'd say, God, if you forgot me, how dare you, God? Paul said, my marks, like the brand of a slave, I am branded, I have an ownership stamp on me because of the Lord. He saw his suffering, he saw his suffering as a mark of ownership. Now, I'm not saying we've got to go through that. Bible says, I will show you how you will suffer for my name. But just shows his perspective. It's a whole different perspective. And he penned two-thirds of the New Testament. Do you have a seal? It's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. And that seals you. It's a mark. What a, why is it a seal? Because you don't see with your eyes the Spirit inside of you. The spiritual realm, when they look at you, they see a seal of the Holy Spirit and it signifies, don't touch me. I belong to another. It shows ownership to the enemy. Friends, some of us have been so tricked with an understanding of the supernatural realm that we have. We act as if the devil's behind every bush and we're just living under some principality and there's principalities and I don't have the authority to address them or to change them so I just got to live under them and try to change them with an opposite spirit and all that stuff. Friends, the Bible says you're in Christ. The Bible says you are a, that Christ is above every principality. I don't know why I'm going down this path. I'm going to quickly read you a scripture because I can feel just a lie in some people's minds. I feel it in my spirit. Some of you might not really know what I'm referencing, but yeah, it says in Romans 8 somewhere, it says, And we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew He predestined to be conformed to His image, the image of His Son. What was lost in the garden? The image. You being conformed into His image. The gospel is given to transform you. That's the purpose of the gospel. Saving you from sins is awesome, but it's not the main thing. When you're saved, you must be born again. You are conf- conveyed into the kingdom of the Son, of His love, the Bible says in Colossians 1. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that He disarmed principalities and power, making a public spectacle of them. The Bible says before that, even in Colossians 2, that you are not under those principalities. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that you're in Christ, and He's in you, and you're in the Father, and the Father in Him, you know, the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1 is just in and in and in and in. to show you how together you are so that you're in christ and then it says at the end of the chapter for christ is above every principality and power what's the point means you are so we live like we under this we gotta it's like this gospel that's just i'm surviving to the end i've been saved and just jesus come back because this world sucks friends that's not the gospel that's not i'm just not holding on to the end because you've been sealed there's a mark of ownership upon you you know the power of diplomatic immunity i've studied this a person can stand in the street and shoot a person in front of a police officer with diplomatic immunity and they can do nothing they cannot even he can then take that gun and stick it in a diplomatic pouch and zip it up in front of them and they cannot touch it he says my diplomatic pouch, diplomatic immunity you can do nothing well isn't it interesting the bible calls you an ambassador you stand on this earth as one born of heaven with diplomatic immunity. Stop letting the devil push you around. And we believe so much in his attack. How powerful is belief? People say, well, just because I believe he can attack me doesn't give him the right. Friends, if your belief can send you to heaven or hell, it can do a lot of other things too. If you believe you're under it, you are. And you will just have one war after the next, after the next, after the next. It's a lie. You ain't under it. You're seated with him, and you are sealed, and you have a family. And they're sealed. Doesn't mean tragedy and crisis won't strike, but it changes the way you react. That's the gospel. That's the very basic of the gospel. You have authority. What is the second major seal of this new covenant that we're in, this covenant meal? What is it? Love. This is how people will know that you are my disciples, John 13. That you love one another. Not like the world loves. That you love one another. It's the sign. It's, this is how people will see from a distance. You marked. This is how people will see from a distance. That's a believer because of the way you treat one another. What gospel is the Western church giving off <laughs> with the way we treat one another? Hello? And we at each other and why? We haven't understood the gospel. And I know this is my passion and I talk about it almost every time I preach. But friends, we are called to become love. And you cannot become love. You cannot become what you're sealed with unless you have an understanding of the gospel. And I'm not just talking about Jesus saved my sins. I'm going to go to heaven one day. That's a part of it. It's not all of it. And I'm going to say this and I keep saying it. And I'm going to say it again. When you were born on this earth, you were born under who? Adam. The emotions that you have were not from the Lord. Please hear what I'm saying to you. You're born on this earth under Adam. Jesus said, I knew you before the creation of the world. The one Jesus knows is not the person who was born here with the inherent sin of Adam. You're born with the disease, incurable. And it comes with, it's called sin. And it comes with three things, weight, wages, and wickedness. It will cause wickedness because it's inside of you. It has a weight. It's a crushing weight. And even the older you get physically, the older you get, it becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. What causes the weight of sin to become heavy? It's a person who tries to deal with it on their own. You cannot deal with it without Jesus. And as you get older and you try to fix this issue, this hole, this vacuum, this, and as you do that, the weight becomes heavier and heavier, and bad choices come because you just want to get away from that stuff. And it comes with wages, which is ultimately death, spiritual and one day physical. Since you're born on the earth under Adam, Jesus came with the message: you must be born again, because when you get born again, you get born who you actually are. And I know I keep saying this, but I'm going to say it until we get it. It's like a policeman who's undercover. The person you were born is not your real identity, and you can live your life for 20 years. You get saved. That's who you are. That's your person. You've just been born. And for the rest of your life, it's as if you've been so deep in undercover that you've been living a false identity that you think it's you. It's not you. Genesis 8, for the imaginations of a, mind's ma- of a person's mind is evil even from youth. You think God designed that to make you evil from youth? Or do you think that came... Th- see here, Greece. Or do you think that came through the fall? That came through the fall. That's why your created value... Everyone says, well, I need to know my value. I need to know my value. And they don't value me. And because they don't value me, therefore he must and she did not and I. Your value comes from God's original intention for mankind. It's called created value. Your value comes from, if I pay a price, that's a bad example because that would be slavery. If I, if I pay a price for something, the price, the value is what I pay for it. Your value comes from your created value, and your value as a person comes from the price that was paid for you, which is the highest price that was paid for anything ever. And if you put your value in anyone else, spouses, children, money, nation, that stuff will do this, and therefore you will do this because your value is tied to your consistency. And when your value is constant, your life will be consistent because you've understood the gospel, and a person can come to you and swear at you and react at you, no matter who they are, and you can love them because they are not pottering your life, because you don't sell so cheap, because you are expensive. Friends, that's the gospel. And when Christians start to see we have a covenant, we are blood tied my goodness, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the, the very evidence of our seal, the other seal, is love. And I can love regardless of what you do to me, because the Bible... Dave and I had lunch. What's the time? I'm going to have to bring this to a close. Dave and I had lunch this week. And we were speaking, you know how Paul says, I long to be free of the body of death. Romans 7, who knows the scripture. You know where that comes from? I loved what him and I were talking about. It comes from a Roman prison, a Roman sentence and Sam is a lawyer. You should bring this practice back. No, I'm just kidding. If, if you killed someone, they would take the person you killed, the dead body, and they would bound it to your body, and you'd walk around with a body of death on you. Why? Because eventually the rot in the st- it would kill you. It's awful. Paul said, when you get saved, you die i've been crucified with christ no longer i live but it's, it's like he says sometimes it's as if we carry that body of death so when the flesh speaks loudly to you do this get back at them do and the flesh speaks loudly you got to understand the thing that is speaking to you is trying to kill you so don't listen to it it doesn't have any good intentions from you for you at all the bible says you've been made new in the attitude and the heart of your mind And the bible speaks to that person so when the Bible, and this is why people get so religious and the bible says well don't do this and don't do this and don't do this even in the new testament you mustn't do that and that's bad it's not speaking to the old man that was crucified in christ and buried it's speaking to the new man it's not trying to give you a list of do's and don'ts it's saying to you this is what your new man looks like this is who you are this is your new identity so that when people come at you you can love Because you were sealed with love. What's the opposite of love? Self. Where was self-born? In the garden. Self-motivation. Self-justification. It was born in the garden. How do you know a person actually loves someone else? Because I said before, most of the time I say I love you, I'm expecting I love you back. And if I don't, then I get upset. Well, that's not love. That's need. I need you. And you better need me the same. Hello? How do you know it's love? Love does not seek its own. 1 Corinthians 13 means I can love you with no matter what you do to me because I'm not seeking my own. In a covenanted family, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, a person, God. That seal is what empowers you and changes you and conforms you and transforms you. Romans 8, Colossians 1, Colossians 2. The purpose of Christianity is to restore what was lost in the garden, which was the image. And to get that back and be made new And that the the very seal empowers you to become that. So that people can look in the world and say, how can those people love each other like that? That's when people come together, Christians can come together. Large part of sometimes not here, never here. This is none of you, obviously large part of people coming together is dealing with their stuff. Imagine believers that can love, really love, and they come together. I want to be worshipping in that atmosphere. That's what they had in the book of Acts. Becoming love. So, oh goodness, okay, we're not going to be able to do that. Friends, there's 59 one another's in the New Testament. I can't even begin to talk about them. 59 of them. Love one another, be at peace with one another, stop devouring one another, bear with one another, one another. What is 59. None of them are possible unless we see the gospel clear. Because then we try to do it in the strength of, and it just, we drive, well, you don't know how hard I'm trying. Hello? Yeah, well, I've been trying hard for like three weeks now, and I don't see you making any effort. Love Him. That's, you're sealed with it. And what is, what are we supposed to do to remember that we're sealed? Have communion. To look back like they did, that there's a seal upon you. That's why. I'm so excited about next week. I love to preach, as you know, but I believe with all my heart that church should not be the celebration of one person's gift. We've got to move beyond that. Or maybe the worship leader and the guy preaching, let's go watch them. Get back into the home. Get back to living Christianity amongst each other with family. And it's going to be awkward. It makes, it's exciting now because you're like, yeah, I love this. But that wears off. And next Saturday comes and you're like, I don't feel like he was talking. Like It's not the same. But that's what it takes. And I say all of this to say, get in each other's homes as a Christian, as a believer, and love each other. Live life together. Don't worry about if they're running the life group while I wouldn't when I ran one, you don't understand. Just stop. Just love one another.